Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today, for the very first time, we're going to have two special guests on the same time on our show. So we are talking first to Marian Hashemi. Marian is an artist, serial entrepreneur, a business behavior scientist, executive, parent, educator, and a generalist. Her work on systematic innovation includes the development of human potential and transformational leadership. Miriam incorporates research from neuroscience, social psychology, consciousness, quantum physics, and futurism in her practice. Her insights into motivational research and creative aspects of organizational systems have won her global tributes, as well as commercial success for the businesses she has worked with, including contributing to quantum physics journals in Europe and collaborating on large-scale transformations. Hi, Mayren. It's amazing to have you with us today. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Maria. It's a pleasure and delight to be here with you today. I'm very excited for our conversation. So we are also talking to your business partner, John Rainford, right? So John is a science writer, educationalist, and global keynote speaker on artificial intelligence and business innovation. He is the CEO of Strawberry Fields and Lowering Matrix. He is vice chairman of a foresight research organization concerned with future trends in global consumer commerce and the impacts of evolving disruptive technologies. He's a fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and manufacturer and head of brand and operational value in AI and blockchain for ccg.org.uk at the United Nations Lab. Hi, John. How are you doing today? Excellent. Thank you. It's amazing to have you both on the shows. And, you know, this is going to be a different episode. As I said, it's the first time we're talking to two amazing people at the same time. So let's see how it goes. You know, I'd like to begin by your story. Like, I'd love to know what happened in your journey, which made you who you are today. Maybe, you know, whatever you would like to share, the way you were raised, your family, or maybe the international experiences you have, whatever you'd like to share. I know that you both are into the art world, which is amazing. So you have this whole universe full of soul that for sure influence your job. So let's begin by Marian. Thank you, Maria. It's a, it's a big question. And I think it's one of these questions when Aristotle says, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And when we think of the examined life worth living, I wonder, you know, how we examine our stories and our narratives and these ways that we've pieced together our identities. So every iteration is is different. And I see it as, you know, a curated kind of story of, of who we've become. It's a fantastic question. For me, you know, I grew up, I was born in Tehran and uh, it was uh, during a war. And so there were bomb raids and there was this big question in my life when I was little around, you know, why are we here and what are we doing? What is our purpose? Those big questions followed me through, you know, with philosophy and, and art, trying to explore my, my inner realm and understand, you know, the evolution of human thought over centuries. That brought me to more questions <laughs> with philosophy and 
I've been in Canada for the past 35 years, and as a, as a Canadian, I think one of the privileges that we have is the peacekeeping missions that are, that are global. And I think these global peacekeeping missions brought me to, you know, from a war background to this peaceful background and this idea of, well, how do we create systems and situations where humans can flourish and thrive? And how do we have healthy organizations, healthy leadership and healthy workplaces? So that brought me into consulting and the biopsychosocial aspects of well-being in the workplace. And then I moved on into what transformational leadership is, how do we explore consciousness? And throughout this time, you know, exploring the artistic and creative side of whole brain thinking in my practice. So that's a little bit of a nugget of kind of how I see my my journey, at least now. And I'm sure if you ask me tomorrow, I'll have a different answer. Yes, but it's such an amazing background. I can imagine what you've been through uh, in your early childhood. So thank you so much for sharing. So what about you, John? Well, um, my journey's um, quite interesting, I suppose. It's brought up by um, alcoholic father. Um, had a troubled childhood, but I think what I did learn was about survival, and it somehow came into my um, thought processes as I got older. I learned strategy and um, helped businesses become market leaders within a relatively short time, um, and I made a reputation for myself in that sense, and people like Shell got to hear of me, and asked me to help with the marketing and um, we developed a new company called Shell Global Solutions. What I share with Miriam is that we're both passionate about transformational leadership and how that might manifest itself in, in the future for all companies and citizens. So I suppose that's a very short precy of my journey. So, um, you're now working together, right? So please, could you just tell us about what you're doing together? Well, uh, we're working with um, either startups or big corporations. Again, developing strategy, if you like, developing a much more holistic approach to how performance is activated. Um, and it's really bringing people together um, so that they have a common sense of, of purpose and, and mission. I think the uh, the crux of what we're doing is looking at the big problems of what's happening in the world and and seeing the connections, you know, connecting the dots and bringing it forward from, you know, data perceptions, from design thinking, systems thinking to systemic innovation. And then this idea of integrating wisdom from the past and the future and evolving it so that we can move human civilization toward quantum leaps. And that's tied into the education of children. It's tied into consciousness. It's tied into how businesses define and explore and invest in competitive advantage. So you both covered a lot of different topics that I'd like to go deeper into those. So let's try to fragment that. But so I'm just curious, before we go into that, I know that the artistic world is very important for you both. So how do you think that it is influencing your professional lives? I'm 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 excited by this question because Maria I think there's there's this you know I'm I'm influenced in my artwork by 
you know, historical and global art movements. I think one of the things that I find most fascinating is Japanese aesthetics and, you know, the ideals in Japanese aesthetics around perfection and imperfection and the idea of harmony and harmony within space, form, and function. And I think uh, there's a term in, in Japanese, satori. And, and I find, you know, art is is life. It's the art of living. And so for me, art is everywhere. You know, when I'm, when I'm cooking, I see art. When I'm walking and watching the rain, I see art. I see clouds, there's art. And so I think the way that it informs our work, uh, at least for me, is that there's an art-based center which is related to that whole brain thinking. And I think John can speak a little bit more about the tacit knowledge and intuitive aspects of how art informs transformative leadership. So that's that's kind of the connection for me. And I think the other interesting part is there's a liberation. There's this, there's this transcendence of old paradigms with the ushering in of new artistic movements, new ways of seeing. And I think that's the allure in terms of being able to connect the dots between art, business and science. I suppose my journey has been, I mean, I've always been an artist and highly creative, I would like to think, but encouraging other people to express themselves in in terms of art or creativity or music is a liberating force. I find that particularly in, in business, sort of a serial entrepreneur, creativity has been an important aspect of developing organizations to um, a, a more higher way of consciousness almost. And um, creativity has been a, a crucial part of that journey, I think, for a lot of the scientists uh, I've managed to work with, as well as business leaders. So creativity goes hand in hand, I think, with entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial thinking. Um, I think this is um, almost like the age of, you know, spiritual awakening, where we need to grasp the um, the new understanding, uh, especially with this, you know the COVID escapade that maybe gives us um, some insights into a better future, a better sort of formal leadership, which embraces creativity as well as entrepreneurial thinking. And I think one of the other important pieces in our work, Maria, is that in in art, there's a process of exploration. There's a process of being in or exploring uncharted waters, which ties in nicely to, you know, some of the experiences that we're going through collectively. And as we embark on a collective healing from collective trauma. I think art is the gateway or at least the the invitation to enter some of those, you know, spaces in a different way because art speaks to the soul. I mean, I think in terms of the way that we've organized ourselves as as society, we have a return I think, collectively towards some of the values of the Renaissance, of valuing aesthetics, of seeing the beauty and the sustainability and the long-term mastery involved in works of aesthetic value. And I think that conversation is entering the mainstream where we're, we're renegotiating a social contract about what, what it means to look at concepts such as beauty, wisdom, and the values that we hold collectively. I couldn't agree more with you both, and that's really a great perspective. You know, one of the main discussions that we've been having here on the show 
And actually, one of the few consensuses that we have among all our guests, and it's something that you're actually covering in your work, is how our current educational system is outdated. And, you know, I'm actually living that right now as I'm searching for my daughter's school, like the school she, she'll be studying, I don't know, hopefully for her ne next 10 years. And it's such a struggle when, when you get to know this very old curriculum model that is not really what our our lives is reflecting, right? It's completely changed. So, um, you know, you mentioned a new form of insightful learning based on neuroscience and artificial intelligence. So that's what I found when I was, you know, digging up your website. So how is this model? You also mentioned this, the Darwin matrix model. Could you, we just go over that? Yes, happy to. What the, the Darwin matrix is meant to do is to provide a more holistic picture of the, if you like, the journey that individuals f may face or organizations. It allows us to make better choices because we're aware of new choices within a framework. And I think that the application to education is that if you look at the you know, the way we've been educated over hundreds of years, and especially um, probably more recently to work in factories and so forth, you can perfectly understand the rationale for creating a workforce, you know, a potential workforce to think in a particular way, which is obedience to some extent and conformity. And I think that the new age now is a bit more about um, freedom and I would suggest collective wisdom through perhaps media, even though the, there's some contention about whether that's transparent enough and so on. Nevertheless, there's a new democratic sense of freedom, which is not really demonstrated in the school curriculum nor at university level, where the smartest scientists of the world will reach for their own sense of creativity and closely allied to that self-worth which is why I think we're, we're both, Mary and myself, are passionate about changing education fundamentally because if we can release those creative aspects of our personalities and bring them into organizations, it's an empowering force. So I think that the whole curriculum needs to be reassessed in terms of the language and the communications that we use because creativity is a liberating force. That's my view anyway. I don't know what, what you think, Miriam. What's your thoughts? I agree with you, John. I think, you know, there's an article I've written about the future of education presented to presidents, vice chancellors, uh, provosts uh, internationally at a summit about the future of education. And I think the crux of it is that we're moving away from the industrial era notion of what John alluded to, and we're redefining what it means to educate. You know, educational institutions have turned away from what was, you know, classically viewed as the, the process of cultivating 
humans who are well-rounded and polymaths and, you know, aware of a little bit of everything to highly specialized vocational schools. So there's been a shift away from pursuit of education for enlightenment toward uh, pursuit of education for research funding and vocational success. And I think that's been create that's, you know, we see the um, disconnect and the cognitive dissonance between what a lot of children want to do, and then the anxiety of parents who are looking at, you know, how do I give my children the competitive advantage to survive and not only survive, but to thrive in the world. And I think it's a reflection of, again, this paradigm shift away from Newtonian physics toward a more, you know, various interpretations of quantum physics around what's possible. And so in a way, I see this as an opportunity. And I think uh, John agrees in terms of being able to redefine the taxonomies and the categorizations that have, you know, uh, limited us in terms of separating, you know, biology is a separate topic from, you know, business and business is separate from art and art is separate from economics, whereas we see them as all interrelated. And I think this has huge global impact. For example, in the uh, United Nations SDGs, we have these SDGs that have been categorized and people work on them and explore them as separate categories. What we're suggesting is that they're all connected. You know, we can't have a solution or or come up with innovative ways of addressing poverty without looking at clean water, without looking at education. And, and so I think that's the crux of a systemic perspective of connecting seemingly unconnected dots. Exactly, exactly, Mary. And you know what? As we grow up, we go through so many different challenges in life. Like, you know, from since we're really young kids learning how to socialize, understanding limits, then we're growing up all the hormone and body changes. And even when we get into being adults, this new educational model should be adapted to each stage of our lives. And now we are talking about this lifelong learning model. So is this something where you see it should make, it should make complete sense? You know, just never stop learning, especially as we know that maybe in the next five years, at least half of the jobs are going to be completely different from what we have today, right? So how, how do you view that? Absolutely. You're bang on, Maria. I think that's, that's really the shift has been to, you know, see ourselves as part of a larger system. So if humans are part of nature, we're continually adapting, we're continually evolving. And that requires continual learning. And so you see this trend among organizations striving to create learning organizations. There's this interconnectedness, especially now in this global context of how we see, you know, disparate events such as uh, the impact of COVID and the pandemic on supply chain and the shipment routes and the trade routes. And we see how the delivery of education is impacting the way that children interact with technology. The the, the neuropsychology of, of children is changing. Our attention spans are changing. And I think this is an indication that at the core of all of this is this spirit of inquiry, this curiosity and this insatiable desire to connect with oneself, with others, and to be in connection with our world. And I think with the changing landscape of technology and AI, there is an opportunity for us to introduce, introduce a little bit of depth of insight into the past and into the future about what the larger 
scale implications of this are as it relates to social psychology. For example, we have a whole generation of, of children who've grown up with the internet. They don't remember, you know, a time where, where people didn't have cell phones or access to Googleable knowledge, as we like to say. And that really will change as well with the future of how we introduce, you know, the concept of transhumanism post-humanism, biohacking, with all the new technology that's coming out in terms of we can have wearables with computer brain machine interfaces. It's a whole new world. It's a brave new world. I think, the, the again, with the new emphasis being on, on a shift towards expectations in, in a capitalist world, I think we need to move more away from competition and more towards collaboration. And I think that's the the new emphasis ought to be so that we've got social innovation working alongside, you know, capitalism rather than them separating them out. I think there is a halfway house. The sort of process that we're involved in is because it's whole brain thinking is looking at tacit knowledge, which is, you know, experience, um, people's experience, and rather than just um, commoditizing that knowledge, um, if we can actually revive it through accessing people's um, collaborative thoughts rather than just individual competitive thoughts, then we can have probably a better prospect for the future for everybody. Exactly. If I may, I love what John said, because I think what we're also keen about is to move the dialogue and the conversation beyond politics, beyond, you know, economic models, beyond these older paradigms that restrict because our language and the words that we use and the concepts that we have are based on, you know, a hierarchy of thought that also needs to evolve. And so we need to reinvent the way that we conceptualize the future of our economy and the future of our interconnectedness so that when we are looking at metrics and we are looking at data to make decisions, be it in government or in business, when we have decision makers looking at statistics, it's to look at it with that critical lens and to be able to reintroduce the idea of critical thinking into our curriculum and our curriculum design, both in schools and educational systems and also in the corporate in the boardroom so that we're cultivating a sense of thought independence so that we can look at, you know, what are we measuring when we're measuring, you know, our profits? Are we measuring the whole picture of the long-term impact? Or are we kind of keen on the Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4 with the myopic, you know, legacy building of climbing corporate ladders for the sake of, you know, status or, or material wealth? And how do we shift our gaze. And I think this is where the artistic lens comes in toward a longer term vision of what does the world look like three, four generations down the road? And what kind of environment are we bequeathing to our children's children? Because we have this beauty of being able to think fast and think slow, as Daniel Kahneman says, you know, the notion of integrating the expansive idea of world impact with what we do on a day-to-day. And that's where the human behavioral change comes into play and the social psychology. So if we're looking at changing human behavior en masse and at scale, how do we do that? And, And the way that John and I believe that we spark these cultural transformations is through art and education 
tied to entrepreneurship and innovation. Innovation happens at the periphery. Art happens at the periphery. Children are very comfortable at the periphery. Some of the highest performing executives, Fortune 100 leaders with billions of dollars of turnover are comfortable at the periphery. How do we move toward being comfortable with the uncomfortable and walking that line on the boundary? I, you know, it's the perfect way to end our first episode. And I'm looking forward to dig deeper into that, into, you know, future of work and behavior science applied to that. So there's so much to discuss. Stay tuned, everybody. We are definitely moving to the episode two with John and Miriam. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.